What is my purpose? Are there any sins God won't forgive? What does the Bible teach about politics? Do all religions believe in the same God? What happens when I die? We all have questions, and we're going to start answering the questions you've been asking about. The Bible, culture, church, or just life in general. You asked for it. Hey, good morning. I'm excited to see you here this morning. Um, you know, it, it, uh, this, this month is turning into an interesting uh, preaching and teaching month uh, for us uh, in the sense that last week, you know, we, we had a, a whole sermon based off politics set for a few weeks and, or a few months, really. And, uh, you know, the night before, we, or the day before, we had this massive thing in Charlottesville. And then this week, you know, we're, ta- we're talking about comparative religions and how you can, if, if Muslims, Jews, and Christians believe in the same thing. And right in the middle of the week, there's this, uh, there's this terrorist attack. And, uh, you know, I just, it's interesting. This week, there's a solar eclipse. And uh, on Sunday, I'm talking about what happens when you die. So I don't know. Uh, <laughs> No promises for next week. I don't, you know, it seems to be lining up in a weird way. I don't, you know, whatever. I just, you know, maybe just watch online next week. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, you know, just continuing to pray for, uh, pray for all the things that are happening in our world, you know, and that's why I, I'm so, um, I'm relieved, though, in a sense that we, can, we have a venue that we can talk about the things that are happening, and we kind of have context about what it means to be a 21st century follower of Jesus, how to wrestle with the scriptures and the text. And so today we're going to be talking about, you know, is, do, do Christians, Jews, and Muslims, do they believe in the same God? And, and this, this, really, this question really rose to um, importance again, or kind of found its way into the cultural stream about a year and a half ago. Um, there was a professor at Wheaton University or Wheaton College out in Chicago um, that, that decided that she would stand in solidarity with her Muslim brothers and sisters. Um, but Wheaton is a, a very evangelical uh, institution. And so she was establishing kind of on her social media platforms um, that she would stand in solidarity saying that we worship the same God, we do um, the same things, we kind of are just looking at different venues, different ways to interact with, um, uh, you know, just the, the, with God himself. And so really put him in solidarity um, with, with uh, really put herself in solidarity with them. And, and begin to interact with that. So all of a sudden now, like the, just everything erupted in terms of, right, really, what, what is the answer to this question? And so re- what really does make this difficult, though, is that there are a lot of historical comparisons between these three religions. Uh, they're very historically relatable. So um, the, the very first similarity is the fact that they uh, are, are, mono, are, are monotheistic, meaning they claim that there's one God, and that's it. A lot of religions are polytheistic in nature, and, uh, and they have an interaction. If you could just uh, hang out with the mic here for a little bit. Um, monotheistic in nature, saying that there's only one God, and that it's exclusive in that. There, many religions are polytheistic, or they're interacting with different a- aspects of that, of that belief. Um, so, but they claim that there's monotheism. They have a set of scriptures. All three religions have a set of scriptures that they interact with on a daily uh, basis. Um, this is something that, 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 could, that is unique to these monotheistic religions. And so what they call themselves, or what, what we're called, are people of the book, right? So I, all three, you know, you have the, the, the Jewish Tanakh uh, that they're interacting with, which is essentially our Old Testament. 
Um, you have the, the Quran for, the, uh, for Islam, and then you have the, the Bible for Christians. And so you, you, you have this book, a set of scriptures that's navigating all that. Uh, all three actually have an idea of what heaven and hell is like, that, that upon death that you are going to a place afterwards, and that there, there's this linear view, linear view of history that you don't recycle back through and kind of start the whole thing again. You actually have this linear idea that you, you live a life, and then at the end of that life, there's this place for where do you go. And now all three of them handle things differently, but there's very similarities. There's a lot of similarities in the whole idea of heaven. Um, even, even the Garden of Eden makes its play into all three of these religions. Um, so the, the idea of a garden in Islam, that's where you are, and there's, there's uh, virgins that are there to interact with you during your stay. Um, you know, the Garden of Eden is, you, you be, uh, Jews believe that they're interacting with that when they, inter- when they go back to heaven. We believe that God is restoring his kingdom to come into earth. And so there's all these streams that are at play that a lot of times religion, religious uh, folks and, and teachers of the Bible, what they, they, they kind of just forfeit this over to the realm of philosophy and they say, you know what, you figure it out because we can't. There's so many similarities in, the, in these religions. We can't figure this out and simply a text that, 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 that should be describing this. And so they forfeit this whole thing over. And this is kind of the, the conversations that they have regarding these things is, is something like this. Like, you know, so you have Clark Kent. Stay with me here, right? Stay with me. Right? This is, this is, they're, they're dealing with all the problems of the world with this conversation. We have Clark Kent and you have Superman, right? And the people who understand Superman, the people who understand Clark Kent are completely, uh, they, they could be different, they could be the same. And so, but do, do the people who know Clark Kent, do they even think Superman is the same thing as him? And is Superman, they, and this is the philosophical conversation that we have. Um, another, another way that they interact with this is, you know, Brandon Lemoy has two children, and, and one is 12 and one is four. Um, but you might be talking to someone who knows me from maybe a bunch of years ago, and they don't know me to have two children. And so are you going to say to that person who doesn't know I have two children that I don't exist, or are you going to say to the, or is that other guy going to say to the guy that has, that I have two children, are they going to literally say that I don't have those children, right? And so they, it's like this really weird tension. And so what they've kind of come down to when people answer yes to that all Jews, Muslims, and Christians believe in the same God, they boil it all down to the idea that you're looking at the same person, you're just looking at the front, back, or the side. Are we tracking together? That was a, that was a lot for a Sunday morning right there. I get it. Clark Kent and Superman don't often make their way into the teachings, but uh, just happy to bless that with you this morning. Um, but essentially, they boil that whole thing idea down as, okay, you could be interacting with God this way, you could be interacting with God this other way, and you're, you're interacting with God this other way, yet we're all interacting with the same essence of who God is. But there's a massive, massive problem that we actually interact with when it comes to Christianity is that, is that we, we have this uh, a different understanding of who God is. Um, and so Jesus actually talks about these things in John chapter 8. Um, when they talk about these religions being descendants of Abraham. Okay. Again, what I said was historically compatible, theologically opposed. These three religions are historically compatible, meaning they have very similar timelines, but they're theologically opposed. And again, they get their similarities from all these different theological beliefs, all these, different, all these similar theological uh, similar, similarities, but they, there's this massive 
connection point, which is the descendants of Abraham. Abraham had, had two children, um, probably a bunch more. The Bible talks about two, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael, the descendants of Ishmael are the other Muslims, are the, is, is Islam. And then the, the descendants of Isaac are Christians and Jews. And so you have these two things. You, have, you can literally see these two religions make their way out from these descendants of Abraham. This is really important as you begin to see John chapter 8. But here's, so here's the thing. Here's the statement that I, you know, hopefully makes this all make sense for you. Is that Islam, Jewish, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity are, are historically related, but they're theologically opposed. Because to know God is to worship Jesus. To know God is to worship Jesus. So this is where everything gets kind of freaked out. Because people get freaked out about this. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. are you going to say that they're not like, sincere in their religion? No, I'm not going to say that at all. Actually, I'll, I'll give that over to them. That's why I'm all, more, all the more able to forfeit that idea, to say, to say hey, you are sincere. You are engaging, but, but you're, we're not worshiping the same God. I'm not going to engage. I'm not going to you know, make that play. I'm going to say, yeah, you, you know, I don't believe your God does exist. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to make a ton of control on that. I'm just going to make this simple statement for our church, for our time, at this moment in culture, is that we aren't worshiping the same God. And the scriptures teach that. The scriptures teach that. Because here's what ends up happening. The whole thing boils down to the disagreements that people have, the, 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 the clarity that people are searching for. It comes down to the person and the nature of Jesus Christ. That's where the disagreement lies. And that's where I think we have clarity and understanding that we have a much different thing. So if, if you don't mind this morning, I'm going to teach you some Christology. I think that will help when you are interacting with the news a little bit. Do you, can I get an Amen. I just got an amen for Christology. I can't wait to tell my seminarian friends. Yes. All right. Sweet. But to know God is to worship Jesus. To know God is to worship Jesus. So Christianity makes an explicit claim about their monotheistic views. That we have a Trinitarian God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to teach on that in a few weeks. Um, in a new series called This I Believe, we're going to go through our doctrine. Um, that sounds a lot more exci- that, that is a lot more exciting than it sounds. It's going to be a lot of fun. But we're going to move through our doctrine about what it means for us to be a community in believing. But we have a God that's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sends His Son, Jesus, God incarnate, and interacts with the world in a way that provides peace with God and allows for us to be changed and become more like Him. That's good news for us. That's good news for us. And so here's just the breakdown for a little bit. If you go to John chapter 8, grab your Bibles that you had in your seat, or maybe you put them underneath it, or maybe you gave it away to a child at some point. Um, I don't know. If you do not have a Bible that is yours uh, to keep, um, go ahead and take that with you. That's our gift to you today. Um, Again, why we do texts, why we have a Bible that we engage with, is that you need to know that I'm I'm not making this stuff up. Okay, this stuff is coming from the text. That should be good news for you, that I'm not just, you know, sitting in my office hoping to, you know, to just share whatever comes to the top of my head today or whatever I heard on the radio throughout the week. Um, you should have good, that, this should be good news to you that there is text that we are talking about. And so you should be able to check that and understand that and wrestle with that. 
Um, I'm a human just like you are, and we are move, worshiping the same God. You don't have to. Uh, uh, you don't have to just wait for me to to break it down for you. You can do that. So anyway, if if you don't have a Bible, that's that's yours to keep. You can take that with you. But John chapter eight, um, that should be page eight eighty nine on your Bible. We're going to talk through that. We're going to jump through three sections of this. Jesus is actually interacting. Uh, with a group of religious leaders from, from, uh, from Judaism, the Pharisees of the time. And they're just catching them, and he's trying to catch them, trying to, trying to corner them, trying to interact with them um, in a major way. And Jesus is st- kind of just in, engaging in a, a pretty nice conversation with them, or a pretty clear conversation with them. But today, this text is going to teach us three things about Jesus that makes it explicit, makes him explicit, it makes Christianity explicit in their monotheism. Um, and again, that's, that's a lot of engagement there, but you'll be able to follow along pretty well, I think. Number one, Jesus is fully God and fully human. You can't make that statement as a Jew or a Muslim. You can't make that statement as a Jew or a Muslim. You can say Jesus is fully human, that, that they're good on that. that. That ship has sailed historically. If you want to say, you know, Jesus didn't exist you're kind of in a group of about three people, uh, you know, probably eating Cheetos in your basement at this point. That's, that's pretty much what you got. So, so Jesus exists. Everyone's got that one down. But, but to say that he was fully divine makes this massive instinct. Now, here's what Judaism done, does, does with this. They say, no. Conversation's over. So we're not going to talk a lot about that one at this point. They say, they say, no. He existed. He was a good guy. Had a lot of followers. Was a rabbi, whatever. But... But no, he's not fully divine. Islam says, okay, well, you know, seven centuries in, he's still hanging around. Um, we say he's a prophet. He's one of Allah's prophets, uh, but he's not the last one. He's not the most important one. He, Muhammad was the, last, it was the last one. He's the most important prophet that God sent. And so to make this statement is, is, really, is really crucial. But he, so Jesus is going to begin to center and orient the world around himself. He puts himself in the center of everything. Um, in fact, claiming to be God, he's going to say, I am, three times in this chapter. That's incredible. And if, and if he's right, though, if he's right, if Jesus' claim to be God is right, which I believe he was, then to disagree with him or to disagree with, you're, you're ultimately disagreeing with God. And it's important that we engage with that. So number one, Jesus is fully God and fully human. John chapter 10, um, Jesus says that him and the Father are one. This is heresy to a Muslim. This is heresy to a Muslim. Here's, here's, what, um, here's what, what the Quran is going to say uh, about God. If you throw this up. He is Allah, the one and only. Allah, the eternal, absolute. He begets not, nor is he begotten, and there is none like unto him. The problem with this text, right, is John chapter 3, verse 16, which says that God sends his only begotten son, right? So it's crucially important to understand the claims of a text. If, if these three religions are people of the book, their Bible says, no, he can't, and ours says, yes, he can Jesus is fully God and fully human. Here's just another text in the Quran so that you have some more context about what's going on. Um, it says the Messiah, this is, uh, the, the, the Muslims believe that Gabriel, um, the archangel, sent, was sent to Muhammad to give him this text. He wrote it by himself in a closet um, uh, somewhere in the Middle East. 
And the Messiah, son of Mary, was no other than a messenger sent to people like the messengers who passed away before him. And his mother was a saintly woman. And they both used to eat earthly food. They were both servants who used to eat food. See, O Muhammad, how we make the revelations, the signs that Jesus and his mother were not gods. O Muhammad, how they are turned away through lies. Okay, so they're, they're, made, they're making this massive statement. But here's the claim of Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 12. It says this. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that needs, leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. I love that. He's like, who cares what you think? I'm making them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct. Uh, my judgment would be correct in every respect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness. My Father who sent me is the other. And so you have this, this claim. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. In fact, later on, he's going to say before Abraham was, I am. And so he's making these statements about himself that are going to establish him as not just one of those guys that falls in line with the prophets, but that he is God himself. He's fully divine, yet he is human, human, fully human as well. But, but here's the thing. If, if you're going to make this claim, if we're going to say that Jews and Muslim, Jews and, and Muslims and, and Christians believe and worship the same God, you're going to have to do a couple things that are just kind of not logically, they don't logically make sense. You're going to say to somebody, you don't actually believe in what you believe in. You're going to say, you know what, you are divine. You are, uh, if, if Jesus is divine, you're going to say, uh, you, you, you actually do believe he's divine. Um, so just kind of like deal with that. They're saying you worship him, but yet you don't, it doesn't matter if you don't know that you worship him. And so you just actually, it's just not, it doesn't line up to make a claim that all of these gods are the same, that we worship him the same way in order to do that. So what you're going to do is you're going to make these massive statements. Jesus himself stands out. He's fully God. He's fully human. Just a few texts to give you this context. Um, if they don't receive God the Son, they do not have, they don't, they, John 5 says they don't have the love of God the Father within them. Look at John 5. It says, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. John chapter 8, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. I mean, that's just the explicitness that Jesus is making here. If they deny God the Son, they deny God the Father. John, 1 John 2, it says, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also, if they reject God the Son, they reject God the Father. The one who rejects me rejects him that sent me. And so you can't make this statement for the sake of understanding or for the sake of, of saying, okay, I, I get, they're sincere, they're good, that's great, that's good and right. But we don't worship the same God. We don't worship the same God. Jesus himself is God. If you're going to make that statement, it's going to set you apart with the fundamental beliefs 
of Judaism and Islam. And it actually sets you apart within Christianity himself, within Christianity itself, and it sets it apart. They, they can't worship a God, although they just don't know it. Although they just don't know it. I believe this. The people interact with religion. They're all interacting with something spiritual that God put inside of them, created them. They're searching for that. They're seeking that. People are created in God's image, all people. And so there's this broken image of God within them. They're desiring that, seeking that. And they're hoping and pursuing this type of relationship. I just believe they're doing it with the the wrong one. So Jesus, the claim is he's fully God. He's fully human. He's divine in nature. And yet he knows what it's like to be human. So Jesus is fully God and fully human. Number two, Jesus gives salvation by faith through grace. By grace through faith. He gives salvation by grace through faith. If you have faith in Jesus, you have peace with God. And this is a gift to you. This is not something that you strive and you earn. This is, again, explicit, makes this explicit amongst these three religions. Um, you, have, you have most of the Old Testament talks through all of different ways that Jews try to develop peace with God through celebrations and festivals and, 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 and rhythms and all this sort of thing. And you're, they're reminding those, themselves of this so that they're working and striving for the grace that God can give. Again, the Quran talks about this. Just a couple, uh, just a couple uh, things from the Quran, the next slide. Um, it says this, to those who believe and do the deeds of righteousness, hath Allah promised forgiveness and great reward. So you have to believe and do deeds. Go to the next slide. And this is, it says, the balance, that, the balance that day will be true. Those whose scale of good works will be heavy, will prosper. Those whose scale will be light will find their souls in perdition. The scary thing about this, this one is that if we're not careful as Christians, we fall into the same belief. Where we have to say, we, we, we fall under the weight and shame of our own sin. And in our desire to please God, we begin to work and we're busy and we try to do all what we can. We wear this backpack of full of guilt and pride and shame. Trying to earn this. Trying to get God's attention. If I do the liturgy right, if I say the right things, if I go to the right person, then maybe God will pay attention to me. But this is what Ephesians chapter 2 says, and this is such a great promise to us. It says that God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Like God has been pursuing you and asking you, trying to woo you towards him, and you're responding to that. This is his idea. It's his gift. It's his thing that he offers to you for you to respond. He says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. There is nothing that you can conjure up and put all into a nice little pile and offer that to the Lord for attention. 
Like, I do this, I do that. I engage with this thing over here, and I do this thing over here. My house is all perfect and lined up. That makes me happy, but that does not get God's attention. And we fall into this sort of suburb mentality that says, hey, if I get everything lined up, I'm at peace, and maybe that is earning something with God at that point. We fall into this suburb mentality that everything is beginning to fall into place, line into place, and we're actually just moving God out of the equation of our life. That's why we just say, oh, everything's cool, and there's no struggle in my life. That's cool. But then the moment struggle happens, we pursue God. And that's the doctrine of works, moving its way into that. As long as everything's lined up and good, I got God's blessing in me. And we do that. And so this one kind of works its way into our daily life because we do desire to please God, but you know what the prescription for that is? Is to rest into the work of Jesus Christ. It's not to earn it. It's to, imagine this. This, this, would, blow, this would blow people's minds. A Muslim or a Jew, this idea that they, 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 what they're going to do is they, you just have to rest in the presence of God. You have to hold life in an open hand and say, God, you give me life. I don't earn it. I don't work for it. I don't strive for it. And he released, we release that over to God. We respond to the Spirit as he's pulling you towards him. That's a gift for you. And here's what I believe, and this is what's happening, been in our, happening in our church for a couple years now, is that people are seeing this and realizing this, and they say, I've been going to church for 20 years, earning, trying to earn God's attention and favor. And Ephesians chapter 2 is literally starting to give me new life, breathe new life into me, because I realize I don't work for any of this, that God gives me grace. But here's what I love about Ephesians chapter 2 is that it goes on. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. He shapes you. He forms you. He's working in you. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I can't wait for next, you know, the next few series. We're going to get through Christmas. In the, fall, in the spring, we're going to be literally looking at this passage, like this section of this passage. Um, the first year, we really just looked at God saved you by his grace when you believed. And then over the last little bit, over the last this year, we've been really looking through salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. And, and what a community of people look like when we're doing that. Year number one was all about gospel, it was all about grace, it was all about personal salvation, personal peace with God. And we took all these people, over the last year, we've been talking about community, we've been talking about what a gospel-centered community called the church looks like in the 21st century and how we're defined, how we work. But this, this, this year I'm so pumped about it because we're, what, what happens in the life of a community, in the life of a believer, when they meet Jesus naturally from the heart is going to be this desire to obey and this desire to interact with God's mission on earth and participate in the restoration of all things. So, so he saves you by his design, by his call by his will you respond to him and he has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the things that are good because out of a heart that's changed by Christ will naturally overflow obedience and mission and good works that push back the scriptures say push back the work of evil 
Yeah, that's so awesome. And so what he does is he gives you salvation by grace, not your work, so that you can believe in him and be changed by him. This is something that's been happening in an unprecedented way. We, I'm just, I was just hearing about a couple teenagers go away, go away over the week, and they come back believing in a brand new way because the gospel is interacting. They're inter- it's interacting with kids. At Summer Challenge this year, we had like 180, 190 kids, just actually like, pe- like, like eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds coming up to our counselors, coming up to our teachers saying, I just couldn't stop crying in the midst of the gatherings. God is pursuing our community. Adults coming. I remember last year, I'm just kind of, free, free, kind of freestyling right now. I just love these stories, though. I remember last year, last year I had a couple come up to me, and the, and the guy just, just couldn't stop crying. It was, after a, 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 it was actually a, a teaching on Ephesians chapter 2. He says, I just can't stop crying. Like, literally, he was crying while he was talking to me in the lobby. He just can't stop. I said, but, buddy, that's, that's, that's the work of the Lord in your heart. Respond to that. And a lot of that's been happening with you, some of you over the last year. I know that. I watched that work. I watched that thing take place. I watched it in your relationships. I watch it in your marriages. I watch it in you personally. And I am so excited about the work of the Lord in our church. Because Jesus, yeah. Because Jesus is at work. Jesus is at work. And we rest in him. So we can't make these claims that we worship the same God because it's just just a different claim. Jesus offers this. These other two religions demand it through your work. It's explicit in nature. And so Jesus, he is fully God and fully human. He, he offers you uh, grace, uh, salvation by grace through faith. But lastly, in the text, he, he asks us to be like him. Oh, I didn't read verse 21. Let me just read verse 21 real fast, 821. Later, Jesus said to them again, I'm going away. You will search for me, but I will die, you will die in your sin. You cannot come where I am going. The people ask, is he planning to commit suicide? Where does he mean? You cannot come where I'm going. Jesus continued, you are from below. I am from above. You belong to this world. I do not. This is why I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. That's a message for someone here today. That's a message for someone here today. And I just pray that you respond to the Spirit's work in your heart. Lastly, Jesus asks us to be like Be like me. Jesus, in his nature, becomes human so that we can interact with humanity in a new way. And he says, to be like me. Be like me. Look at what he he continues to say, verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Go down to verse 39. Our father is Abraham, they declared. 
Remember, so these are all three religions. They're declaring that Abraham is their father. No, Jesus replied. For if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you were trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you are imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Verse 42, Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Last jump, go down to verse 58. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. At that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. The phrase I am here is literally the same phrase that God tells to Moses at the burning bush. This is infuriating to Jewish people that Jesus would claim this as a fully God and fully human person. This is infuriating. That's why, in fact, this phrase, the high priest would say one time a year. It was so holy, the phrase that they would describe, it was so holy, they would only say it one time a year. And they would whisper it in, in a sense of interaction and connection with Yahweh. And Jesus, here he is standing in the, in, in, the, in the town square saying, I am. I am. It would have been infuriating. It would have been incredibly, incredibly uh, insulting to someone in the Jewish religion at this time. But Jesus says, I want you to be like me. And here's really the, the point here. And the three ways that Jesus establishes himself completely different. It all boils down, all three of these religions boil down to who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? That's a question for you today. Is Jesus, in the Islam expression, just a good prophet? He's a good guy. He's got some, maybe he interacts, interacts with some divinity. Just a good guy, you know, churches and stuff and people, they kind of gather around him. Is he that type of person to you? Just kind of this good prophet that maybe one day soon or something, whatever, like he might give you something that's nice and good. Oh, he's cool. I mean, a lot of people believe it. I mean, 2.2 billion people can't be all wrong, right? There's got to be, you know, he's just a good prophet. Many good prophets, many good gods. Is that who Jesus is to you? Or is Jesus in the Jewish expression just not divine at all, just a good guy that came, had some followers, taught the, he, taught the Hebrew scriptures well? Kind of just was a good teacher, and, but there's really no power to him, no divinity. All this stuff is just kind of made up. Is that who Jesus is to you? Or is Jesus the author and the perfecter of your faith? Is he the center of all of your belief? Is he the one that's literally informing the way that you live life? Every belief, every decision, every glance, every response is informed by the person 
of Jesus. Is he your Lord today? What these three religions offer us is, is, is an idea of how to actually look at Jesus. Not so that we can be, you know, like, not so that we can just give them like a nice way to, hey, yeah, we all believe in the same one and everything's cool, everyone's cool. We just gotta, we just gotta coexist in a good world so that one day soon we'll get out of here and everything will be made right. He's making a statement about who Jesus is, the way that you express your monotheism. So who is Jesus to you today? As the band comes up, they're going to close us out here in a second. Because here's what Hebrews chapter 1 talks about. Here's what Hebrews 1 is going to teach us here. It says, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Again, that is an explicit text that you can allow the Bible to inform about this question. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When He had cleansed us from our sins, He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven, church, to know God is to worship Jesus. To know God is to worship Jesus. So some of you today, this might be your first time being able to explicitly say that. Maybe before today you've wrestled with this or you've struggled with this. Maybe in a more political, cultural kind of way, you've, you've hoped to kind of keep the peace between all of these religions. I say you're struggling, you're making very explicit statements about the the nature and the character of Jesus. Maybe today you just you've never thought about this as the first kind of question. And really Jesus to you is just maybe just a good prophet or maybe just a good teacher, but not really anything powerful. And today this is your first time that you're literally going to be able to say that Jesus is none of those things to me any longer, but he is truly my Lord and Savior. He's the one that's changing me, interacting with me, pursuing me, and I want to respond to that work in my heart. Maybe today this might be your first time that you can say that. And so that would be my, 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 my request for you, is that all the stuff that you're feeling, all the stuff you're going through, all the stuff that you're engaging with, God is pulling you towards him, and he wants you to be close to him. He wants to change you and help you live according to the plan that he has for your life and live according to the plan that he intended for the world. That's good, good news for us day, that what we see is not what it's like, that God had a better plan, and he wants you to be a part of that. That's why we're doing baptism next week. Right now, we got a few people signed up, but two, actually, two students are actually going to do this, which is incredibly important to me. I love that. But two students are going to be baptized. They're going to announce to the church that I'm a follower of Jesus, that God has pursued me. I've responded to that call of the Spirit. I'm going uh, to announce that Jesus is my Lord. 
And I think, you know what I think? I think there's some of you in here that this has happened to this week or this year, and you haven't made that step yet. Man, I've, and I just would ask you, I would ask you to obey the, 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 the model of Jesus in doing that. Now, some of, the, some of the pushback that I get on it sometimes is like, well, I don't want to go underwater in front of 500 people. I don't, I don't want to do that, right? Which, valid, absolutely. Probably have a hard time myself. But it symbolizes this idea that you are dead to your old way of life. When you go down under the water and you come back up, you are now new in Christ. It's a symbol of, of what God has actually done in your heart. And if you haven't announced that yet, you're missing a major step as you pursue God and as you walk with him. You're missing a major step. We, we don't baptize babies here because we want that to be an expression of the model that Jesus set, that when he was old enough, he wanted to pursue that. He wanted to express that. When he, when he was old enough to, to express that, and it says, we want to do the same thing. And we still don't baptize babies in a way that says you're now uh, in heaven, you're now, you're now like on a path to heaven because of your baptism. We respond to the call, we respond to the prompting of the Spirit, and then for people to announce that to the world. And I think some of that's happening in us. Actually, the New Testament, it's really the major way that you tell people that you're a follower of Jesus. It's a major way that you do that. And so if you got baptized as a baby, that's, that's great. I, I would say, give us the gift as a community to celebrate alongside you in your discipleship. Give us that gift. I mean, we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate the fact that you're responding to the, the call of God, the prompting of the Spirit in your heart. So if you've never done that as an adult, I would ask you just as your pastor today, Consider doing that next week. Consider doing that next week. You can sign up today right at the connections desk. Just go out and tell them you want to do it. We'll, we'll get it all figured out with you. We'll connect with you throughout the week and we'll make sure it's all planned out. But here's what I believe. That over the last year and a half, what we've done as a church is we've so solely focused on Ephesians chapter 2. That, that, that God in his grace has given us this gift and we've responded to him and we have new life because of that and that has freed us in a major way it's freed us to do work to worship in gratefulness that we've responded to this work of the spirit it we, it's freed us to have community in a way that's not based off all the junk in our life or not based off all our presuppositions not based off our pretense or our agenda it's based off the gospel that we are all connected in him Nowhere is a community like this where someone from six months old all the way up to, to 90 can be can, together in the same underneath the same banner of Jesus. No community can make that claim. But it's going to allow us to be a part of mission in a brand new way that I believe is, in, is informed and filled up by Jesus' change in your heart. And if it's fueled by that, it won't run out. It won't run out. Community Covenant will be here for hundreds of years or until the Lord comes back. And I hope that's not hundreds of years, but hey. We've so focused on that 
And the simple request, the simple model that we have in the Bible upon that response is to get baptized. And so I'd, I'd ask you as your pastor to consider that. And sign up today down at the Connections desk so that we can celebrate your discipleship with you. Because it's good news when someone follows Jesus. Amen? It's good news. And so we want to be a part of celebrating that with you. To know God, church, is to worship Jesus. It's an explicit statement that makes us set apart. There's one true God, and it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus. We want to make, be explicit in our claim about you. We want to be explicit in our claim about you, and we are uh, fall and re- we respond to the work of, of grace through the work of your son, Jesus. God, I pray that the life, death, and resurrection can be good news for us today, that there is, uh, that there is life found in that, that we can be new because of Christ. God, thank you for giving us peace because of that. God, I pray that this informs our worship as a church, that there's gratitude, that we aren't, uh, we aren't slaves to sin any longer, but we're free because of the Spirit. We're sons, we're daughters, we're adopted in you. So God, I pray that you allow us to do that together. Allow that to be the centerfold of who we are as a community. In your holy name,